Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome to Media Storm, a news podcast that starts with the people who are normally asked last. I'm Matilda Mallinson. And I'm Helena Wadia. And we're back with some bonus content for our loyal listeners. New Year, New You. Or at least, that's the message the mainstream media likes to push. On last week's episode, we dissected why the wider media often tells us our bodies need to change. We looked into fat phobia, diet culture and depictions of body image and discussed how the mainstream news media helps the diet industries profit off our insecurities. But the conversation doesn't end here. And that's because fat phobia doesn't affect all plus-size people in the same way. Various intersections, such as race or gender identity or queerness, can change the way people experience body image. We asked Stephanie Yeboah and Essie Dennis to tell us more about fighting back against a world that tells them to just be smaller. Of the government's strategy to tackle obesity. It's a great, fat, hulking model. You should, if you're unhealthy as a body... You should not be celebrating. Cut the calorie content. Rapid weight loss is a much more accepted thing to do. Childhood obesity at record high levels. Acceptance brigade. There is a virus out there to which you could be susceptible if you don't lose weight. You've both written books that talk about the intersections of body image and fatness. Stephanie, your book is A Black Fat Girl's Guide to Living Life Unapologetically. And Essie, yours, which is out in two months, talks about queer body power. Tell us about writing these books and why it's important to highlight intersectionality in body image. Um, So I think for me, it was important for me to, to write this because growing up, you know, in the 90s and the, and the noughties and stuff, we collectively had little to no representation um, when it came to black fat women on, on screen. So I grew up not only having a really huge complex, not only about my fatness, but also this notion that black people are not worthy of being seen. We are not as pretty. We're not as this, not as that. And um, I, I guess the, the motivation for writing the book sort of came around 2017 when I noticed the huge shift in the body positivity movement, uh, a movement that I no longer feel represents me um, because the movement in part was kind of created by fat black women. And that narrative got lost very quickly. The more popular the movement became, the visibility was being given to women who were predominantly white or light skinned, hourglass shaped, sort of smaller fat and leaving out the larger fat black women and darker skinned black women. And I just wanted a place for women that look like me, especially in the UK, to feel seen. Because the way in which black fat women navigate life is very different because we have to um, deal with misogynoir. We have to deal with the racial element. We have to deal with the colorism element. So, you know, 
the tropes that we see of fat black women in in media, for instance, were always seen as the help slaves, servants, uh, the sassy black friend, the sassy fat friend. You know, we don't get to have sex lives or portrayed. We don't get to have romantic lives. We're always the stereotypes that are attributed to us, such as being very dominant, being very aggressive. The amount of like, even in dating, like the amount of messages that I used to get from predominantly white men asking if I was a dominatrix, um, if I would do all of these, you know, really kinky things to them. And I'm like, I'm very like introverted. I don't know what you're talking about, sir, kind of thing. And it was just like, because of my appearance, there was this assumption that I, w- I had a specific personality type because of my skin color and my weight. And that was the thing that really spurred me into saying, you know, we need to have our perspectives heard because there's just a lot of extra things on top of fat phobia that we have to deal with. Essie, tell us about queer body power. So I used to go into schools um, a lot and talk about kind of queerness and uh, eating disorders and things. And I'd have a lot of kids come up to me afterwards, basically coming out to me like just afterwards because they had no one to talk to. Um, but also they were struggling a lot with like their f- physically how they felt in their own bodies because they just couldn't find anything to kind of almost like attach themselves to you know when you're a kid you're kind of looking around looking for people who look like you and feel like you and trying to figure yourself out in your identity and just a lot of these queer kids weren't really getting that um and then I sort of started to look into it and I saw just the really high proportion of um, eating disorders and body dissatisfaction among different queer communities but this is the thing we're obviously such a large community that you can't just write a book about everyone as sort of a homogenous lump of people like there's a lot of different ones because there is a lot like for instance fat phobia is really really rife in the queer community but in different communities like for gay men it's different than for gay women for instance like there's a lot of different things going on and it was kind of trying to bring all these things together so that there was kind of a book that was accessible but people people could read about it and be like this is what I'm dealing with and you've got things like desirability politics and you've got kind of the dating aspects of it and then you have like being queer and disabled which I am and having to deal with those two things so I was trying to bring it all together so that people could have like a really well-rounded book about queer experiences but also for it to be a positive book in general like I wanted it to be a book where people could actually get what they needed out of it and I have like people who've read it already have said like sometimes there's points where they're crying because they hadn't realized that it was the issue sometimes you just need someone to to say something in a way that you know you kind of understand and someone from your community to talk about it but I'm very grateful for everyone else who's put you know done interviews for the book as well because I just feel like it makes it a lot richer. Can you just explain how queerness can sometimes manifest in increased body image pressure? So there's a lot of pressure in different parts of our community to look a certain way and be a certain way you know especially for instance with um, kind of gay and bisexual men there's this huge pressure to be thin and there's this huge kind of gym culture for like other men because you know there's there's like a kind of different experience than for instance straight men are having with women um and then you have you know trans people there's this idea of what femininity and masculinity look look like and how you're supposed to fit into that you know and i'm gender fluid and i find myself you know when i'm presenting more feminine I'm chill. It feels quite easy to me because I feel like people see me for what I am. When I'm presenting more masculine, people are like, you've got boobs, that's a bit... Mm. 
okay like they'll just be like no 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 you, you you look like way too girly you shouldn't be dressing like this you shouldn't be looking like this and it makes you feel like you can't express yourself kind of properly um but yeah different experiences obviously if you're non-binary or if you're kind of a binary trans person you know there's these ideas of what a woman looks like what a man looks like and the idea that you have to pass and your body has to look a certain way and you're not trans enough or queer enough if you don't look a certain way and you know in terms of you know queer women there's this idea of you know you either have to look butch or femme and you're not allowed to look any different and if you're butch you have to be thin and you have to be this like there's just all these different ideas in different parts of our communities and that's why I think it's so important because it is a different experience than if you know you're a cis heterosexual person it just is um and that's kind of why I wanted to bring it in because it was almost like these things weren't fully getting talked about it's like we all knew it was going on (laughs) like we all knew we were having these problems with our bodies and we all knew we had these things relating to our queerness but it wasn't being talked about that much Totally. Yeah, I think it's so important to talk about intersections, especially with body image, with fat phobia. Um, I was talking about how in um, South Asian communities, you're like simultaneously showed love through food, like you're taught how to cook. The plates are always like really piled high of food and eating everything on your plate is like a sign of respect and a sign of gratitude. And you're practically like force fed by your grandmother when you go to family um, events. But then on the other hand, while all of that's happening, you're being told you need to lose weight by your blunt Indian aunties. And you're yeah. <laughs> um, being told that you look better in a sari if your stomach's flatter. And it's interesting because... There are so many, yeah, there are so many ways that kind of body shame intersects in different communities and it's super important to talk about it and to highlight it. Mm. So um, everyone, I mean, no shade to my grandmother. Thank you for the food. Oh my God. If you're listening. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I've, I have like a big Greek family and it's a the similar thing of like a, a lot of food and a lot of kind of that, that kind of family sort of thing with your kind of granny making loads and loads of food and then it's also like but you're putting on weight though but also eat this entire goat but also (laughs) like (laughs) that's just the vibe constantly and you're like guys we're getting mixed messages from you here (laughs) yeah my my granny catholic very catholic woman oh gosh (laughs) this story was very pro keeping her four daughters and her female grandkids uh chubby um because she wanted us to stay virgins. Well, this is more something that affected my mum. Yeah, what? she said her yeah. and her four sisters they would yeah yeah they would shoot they would be encouraged by their mum to put on weight. And my mum thinks it is because she wanted them to stay virgins, no. which is just wow. I mean so many so many things wrong with that. There's so many <laughs> too much to <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll be back on the 10th of February with our next episode on homelessness. So make sure you've hit subscribe. Follow MediaStorm wherever you get your podcasts so that you can get access to new episodes as soon as they drop. If you like what you hear, share this episode with someone and leave us a five-star rating and a review. It really helps more people discover the podcast and our aim is to have as many people as possible hear these voices. You can also follow us on social media at Matilda Mel, at Helena Wadia and follow the show via at MediaStormPod. You can also get in touch and let us know what you'd like us to cover or who you'd like us to speak to. MediaStorm, a new podcast from the House of the Guilty Feminist, is part of the ACOS Creator Network. It is produced by Tom Selinski and Deborah Francis-White. The music is by Samfire.